Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. All right, I got to talk to Michael about something. The Honda Classic is on now. Yes. So we assume DG is there. I would guess we that's just down DG, the corner. Yeah, Whoa. we assume he's walking. Stop by the public to <laughs> the pick, bear up, trap. pick up a fresh holler. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's Shabbat Shalom today. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Obviously, DG wrote us and he wasn't even there. Um, I'll get to that Honda Classic and, and my feelings about that in a second. Um, my dog got in a fight today. Mm. Jesse got in an actual fight today. I take her out in the morning, and a guy down the street has a dog, a smaller dog, but, you know, a yappy, angry dog, and he just lets go of the leash. And so the dog runs to Chessie. So Chessie gets in a fight with the dog. And I'm just looking at this guy. I'm trying to separate these dogs and not get bitten. I'm trying to actually grab the other dog's leash so I can pull that dog away. So you think it's away. a drop the leash, not the dog just escapes. No, the dog dropped the leash. And then, you know, he finally comes over and gets his dog. And his dog got the worst of it. Not terrible. I mean, it lasted 20 seconds. His dog got the worst of it. And I said... I just looked at him, what? And he goes, yeah, I was, I was opening a door and I just let her go. I go, okay. You know, I mean, and it's a fight and they're biting each other's faces. Like that dogs go for the throats of other dogs. Yeah, that's their move. You know, and then I have to check my dog to see if she's got blood on her or anything like that. She doesn't. He checks his dog, no blood. You know, but she got in a fight. I don't want that to happen. I'm... I, and I, you can't stop it when another dog is free and rushes at your dog. You can hold your dog, but you can't stop the fight. So it's very annoying. Yeah, th- this is a larger issue right now, particularly coming off of years where animal uh, rescues were through the roof and people taking in dogs that they otherwise wouldn't necessarily have taken in because and of the work from home situation. she probably was abused as a small dog. Right, and th- that's what we know about Chessie. But when you think about what you don't know about dogs in the on, across the street, if you will, is you have a lot of dog owners who say, well, my dog's well-behaved or my dog would never do this. And this mm-hmm. happens when you have little kids, when you are, are just, say, hesitant around dogs and people assume, no, my dog's okay. Okay. I know my dog's not. Don't okay. ever go to a dog park because that. <laughs> well, I know. I could never go to a dog park with Chessie. And one of the toughest. Never. I love animals. I love dogs. She's great with people. She's terrible with dogs. And when you see a strange dog, my, my first in- inclination is to go over and scratch its head or pet it. And you can't do that because you just don't know, you know how that dog is wired. All I, I just imagine Chessie getting up on her hind legs and lifting up her paws. Ready to punch like a kangaroo. <laughs> Ready to strike like a kangaroo. Right. There's the collie in her. Let's, um, <laughs> let's talk about the Honda Classic. And people are saying, I don't want to talk about the Honda Classic. Well, it's the last one. Oh, it's it? That's, That's it? it. Yeah. Honda was a sponsor for over 40 years of a PGA Tour event. They may be the longest running sponsor. And they've always had a tournament in Florida. It hasn't always been at the PGA National Course. But it's always been in South Florida. Yeah, and if it's not Honda, it might be Sony as one of the longest-running sponsors. It's the only tournament in South Florida. This is the only one. You think of Florida and golf. This is the only tournament in South Florida. Um, The Players is in Northern Florida. Uh, The Arnold Palmer is in Orlando. You know, they're, they're not in South Florida. Yeah, you've had tournaments in, in Palm Beach Gardens before, not currently. You've had Doral in the past. Doral in the past. Not anymore. Not Doral. Doral was a big, you know, it was the Jackie Gleason Inverary Classic at one point when Jackie Gleason and Sammy Davis Jr. and Bing Crosby, when they sponsored Glenn Campbell, sponsored their own golf tournaments. That's long ago and far away. But Honda's out. And I don't know why they're out, but they're probably out because they're not a designated tournament and they don't get any stature. They, they've always been devalued just by their position on the calendar. And then with the announcement this year about elevated events, it was also in name. So I got to watch golf. I mean, we have Will Bond on later. I'm sure he didn't watch any golf. We have Jeff Passett on later. I'm sure he didn't watch any golf. I got to not only watch the, the oddity on my cable system is that NBC which did the Honda Classic, is number 804. Yes. And the CW, which did the Saudi Tour tournament out of Mexico, is 803. So I can go back and forth and back and forth. If you notice in the newspapers, the Saudi Tour is now in the newspapers. This is strictly a function of being on television in the United States of America. 
and not on YouTube. Same thing for the like the apps. If you go to ESPN and you pull down golf, professional golf, you can click into LPJ Tour, PJ Tour, Live, Corn Ferry. Now live. Now you can do it. Because getting on television, even though they bought their way onto television, they have no they have no ads. They have no sponsorship. When it comes to sponsorship, what they do is they show a picture of you sitting in your house watching their tournament. Very nice houses, by the way. That's what they show. Wow. Not the clientele I expected. Now, one thing about, and I'll get to the Honda in a second, one thing that enormously bothered me, and this is just me. May I guess? Go ahead. The music. No. Didn't not as much as shorts. What was, what was oh, shorts? Intimidated by the calves. Shorts makes sense. I can't believe it. These are pro golfers. They're wearing shorts. Hmm. They're not wearing pants. That's just new for me. I'm sure when they go out just to play with their friends, of course they wear shorts. Everybody wears shorts to play golf, but I never saw that before, and I it's disconcerting to me. Well, and it's, I don't and like it's, it. if you go to a tour event or you know you go to a major, you see them wearing shorts for the practice rounds, right? And so, then, you know, we were talking about the weekend. What's going to be the three-point shot? How quickly will they adopt something like the shorts? Maybe. Do you think at one point in tennis, people were like, I like it better when they wear long pants? Because they used maybe, to. Maybe. They used to wear long maybe, pants. Maybe. But yeah. women didn't wear long pants. But Suzanne dress- Langdon didn't. They wore, <laughs> wore dresses. dresses. Yes. So, and, you know, Informal. but in golf. Yeah, in, it's an odd look. That's they odd wore look. jackets and ties in golf. Yeah. So it's really an odd look for me. And I don't understand What's going on? And there's so much stuff on the left-hand side of the yeah, screen. The NASCAR crawl. I, I, I don't understand. Now, if you understood the names, and I don't understand the names, and I don't know how they selected these names, and the logos are problematic, to say the least. Don't uh, get but, it. You, but if you were to know the names, it would be interesting to see how they're going up and down. With these teams. And I don't know where the tournament is. I don't know what hole you're on, and are you going to win? And so that's the problem with the shotgun start. If you're looking at all these shots are being played at the same time as you're doing basically a carousel around 18 holes of golf, yeah, just, you don't necessarily know, is this shot live live or is this on a 30-second delay? Where are we right now? Uh, so it, it, it was problematic for me, and I got off it. Well, also because Charles Howell III, I think, was nine shots ahead. Oh. So I didn't, you know, there was no drama, right? There was no drama to that. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't watch the end of the tournament. We watched five minutes to try and get a sense. And it looked, I guess, the, the way that they passed. Did Chan like it? It looked like <clears throat> golf. And Charles yeah. Howell III is a journeyman tour player. But you've, know, he you've heard of him for yeah, 20 years. Yeah, he is a very solid player. Not, did not win nearly as much as you might have thought he'd win, but a solid player. Uh, so, yeah. We didn't, we didn't watch any more than what Phil we saw Phil was here. like plus 20 at some point. I mean, Phil's not in. Phil's, it doesn't matter. Cash and mm. checks. Yeah, Phil is not Cash and checks. relevant. But, if, but for them, it was on TV. It's a yes. course that you have seen before, so it has a very recognizable bunker. This, these are courses that have fallen down the ladder of professional golf. Mexico. It, it is a former tour course. Yeah. Uh, it, then I think it's had some corn fairy stuff, but it looked like professional golf. In the United States of America, they have all the Trump courses and everything else. They're outside of the United States of America, basically, yeah. which is fine nobody cares about that if, right. if, if it's compelling maybe it's compelling i didn't understand it it's going to take me a few more tries i'll give it a few more tries what i found compelling was the honda even though there's nobody in it there's nobody you've ever heard of in it maybe zach johnson you've heard of i think they're all playing a practice round for the seminal pro for member. the seminal pro member which is today today you know and if you put that on tv the great sam reeves playing with nick watney today you know yeah so anyway the Honda Classic at the PGA National, which is a very long, difficult course. Not fun, right? Not a, f- a lot of potential to lose some golf balls. Yeah, in the water, everywhere. It's not fun. But it had a great, and I hate myself for what I'm going to say because I missed the ending. I'll explain it in a second. It had a great two-man head-to-head match play situation. The two guys playing together are the two leaders, Chris Kirk, a journeyman pro who has won three or four times on tour, but not in 15 years. Uh, and Ten- has been very open about his personal alcoholism. struggles. He, they talked about it, his alcoholism. He's out there playing against a kid named Eric Cole. You don't know Eric Cole because he doesn't play. He, he didn't even succeed on the Corn Ferry Tour. What do you think about his pants? Uh, those, those are those pants that, that bunch up at the bottom. There's an elastic thing at the bottom of the pants. I think you're struggling to say joggers. Is that, I don't know. What, yes. Is that what they're called? Joggers? You know, he's a young, he's pretty young. Younger than Chris Kirk, I think. 
And what is tremendously interesting about Eric Cole is not only that yesterday he made like 300 feet of putts, his father, Bobby Cole, was a tour pro. His mother, Laura Baugh, was one of the great golfers of all time. Really? She was, yeah, it was Laura Baugh, and she's at the tournament, and she's wearing a hat that says Laura Baugh, <laughs> you know, because now she's in her, probably her 60s, Laura Baugh. She came along in the 70s. I mean, she was a great player. And he had a chance to win, and he gave up the lead, and on 16, Chris Kirk threw in a birdie putt to take a one-shot lead, and you say it's over. Was it 16 or 17 that he did that? That was on 17, the I part believe. three. He did it. Then they go to 18. He puts his second shot in the water. Oof. There's going to be a two-shot swing. The kid's going to win. Puts it in the water. And the kid after two, Cole after two, is off the green by 10 feet. Did you watch? So I watched until we got to this hole because we thought it was done. And the children decided that it was time to watch all engines go. So mm. I guess I yes. was the number one engine there. Okay. <laughs> so he gets to about 10 feet off the green. He's got a downhill chip. He's been great all day. He bombs it 15 feet past off the green. He pars the hole. He should have birdied the hole in one. Um, Chris Kirk bogeys the hole. Makes, you know, that's fine considering he went in the water. And now they're tied and they go to extra holes. And I took the dog out. And I don't know what happened. So I get home and I say to Carol, who won? And she gives me that look like, oh. <laughs> uh, so I supposed oh. to be taking notes. <laughs> and, I, and she says, I think Kirk won. I said, when? She said they had more holes. You yeah, know, I, think he almost, I think he almost jarred a wedge shot. Okay, so more holes. And I go, which one was Kirk? The one with the beard? She goes, blue shirt. And I said, they both had blue shirts on. Yeah, beard. So, so she so, was correct. Okay, so she got it right. So, so where did they go? What hole did they go to? I'm gonna go I ahead took and, the dog I think they probably out. went back to 18. It. I'm not sure. Either way, each ending is great because of their personal stories. Not only that, but the kid Cole had, has Addison's disease, which is terribly debilitating physically. Hmm. I don't know how old he is. I, someone said he was 34. That just seemed old, but maybe not. Hmm. Because he looked very, very young. But there were two wonderful potential endings, one way or another. But I thought, God, I thought I was sure that when Kirk hit the birdie putt, he would won the tournament. And then sure, when he went in the water, he had lost the tournament. It was all on him. Right. It wasn't on Cole. It was on him. So you missed the ending, too. I missed the ending. I guess the, so people would say that's the power of a, of a tournament that is structured that allows the leaders to go off in the final pair. Yeah. And right. you can have drama building up over that back nine over the course people of hours. nobody's heard of and nobody cares about. But the fact that we then leave to go, you know, make dinner. <laughs> oh, we had some uh, nice uh, Momofuku noodles, which were very good with some leftover pork. Oh, good. Uh, but the fact that you go out to take the dog is yeah. sort of the issue uh, with the dynamics of how we watch golf. The other note that I'd, I'd written a note down to myself to make sure to say today that a lot, because there was a lot of basketball yesterday, and I'm sure Wilbon will talk about all the NBA. Nice pen win. Pen beat who? Uh, Dartmouth. Okay, and they're in the final four. They're, they're in the, the They're going to be in the four, yeah. Who coaches them now? Donahue. Okay. Oh, that's great. Oh, he came over from yeah, Cornell? Came back. And he, it was, okay, good. Because um, I root for them, obviously. Sunk a lot of money in there, you know, to get a belt and a bag. It was really good. Um... <laughs> The Wizards will never win. They will never win. They will never get, even when they win the lottery, look who they've picked. Kwame Brown. Kwame Brown and John Wall. Useless. <laughs> Useless <laughs> Do you players. remember Kwame well, Brown's suits? Yeah, well, Sally Jenkins wrote about that. He threw them out. He bought a bunch of suits, wore them once, and then threw them out. Was he Jay Gatsby? Kwame, well, essentially. <laughs> the shirts. Yeah, essentially. Um, but they'll never win. Their best player is useless. Bradley Beal. Mm. he's often injured and he's a jump shooter he, he doesn't do anything well the good news is you don't pay a lot for him right you pay an unbelievable <laughs> amount of money and he has a full no trade <laughs> and then they draft guys you know who they draft him from six to ten and you know then they get rid of him then they get rid of him. the general manager doesn't have any idea what he's doing tommy shepherd uh, he has no idea what he's doing he just people come in and people go out 
He's never happy. He's churning the roster all the time. Well, who's the kid that they sent to the Lakers? Hachimura? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, they, was number, he was their first round pick. So they got lots of great stuff back. They got that, nothing. They like, got second round picks and a non-player. <laughs> who no, gets second round they picks? They get nothing. They're useless. He's no... Yeah. I don't know who what he's doing. They're never going to win. Let's get out of here. Oh, before we go, because I'm upset that this is the final Honda Classic. That just bothers me. Did Now, at the end of this, I know you weren't watching, but at any point did someone say, I'm going to wake you up early because I'm going to take a ride with you? We're going down to the Honda shop. I'll tell you what we're going to do. Put on a ragged sweatshirt. I'll take you any place you want me to. First gear. It's all right. Second gear, lean right. Third go. gear, hold on tight. It's a little Honda by the Beach Boys. You didn't think I would know that, No, I knew you would. I knew you would. Yeah. They make a lot of things, Honda, and they're out. I don't know that there's a tournament. Do you remember your hatchback that got stolen from in front of your house? Yes, yes. Ooh, Honda. I don't think I've ever heard that. Story. I, I found I, it in the park. I don't. <laughs> I don't know if there's going to be a, a South Florida tournament next year. Maybe, but I don't know. All right, Michael Wilbon. When we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Devin Heritage sends this in. This is a song from intercontinental but it's not intercontinental it's intercontin sevenal um yeah, the only band to record original music which was recorded on all seven continents is back with volume three tony's favorite band to pronounce intercontin <laughs> sevenal <laughs> has released their third album which features original music recorded from each continent the album features an original coast original song co-written and performed by artists in russia and ukraine all proceeds go towards ukrainian refugee fund put your money where your mouth is Good for you. The record can be found on all streaming platforms, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. It's pronounced intercontinental. It's proud to continue make, to make music that is motivated to improve the world. This is a song called Siena, and it um, plays in Michael Wilbon, uh, Michael Kornheiser, if people want to send in original music like Intercontinental, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonykornizershow.com. So today when I went outside and walked the dog and got back, waiting on my phone was a message from Alan Bubis, the socialite who wrote Words of Wisdom and sent me something you did with Axios. I don't really know what Axios is, but in which you said your breakfast was Rice Krispies, with the old-fashioned habit of reading, not a screen, but the actual goddamn newspaper. <laughs> and no green juice. No green juice. I've never That's had great. green juice in That's my life. Great. And mornings don't count. They're just in the way. <laughs> and, and the socialite sent this to me and said, these are words to live by. What is Axios? I, I don't really know. They asked me to interview and talk about several Washingtonians. I guess talk about their mornings and the habit of their mornings and what they were like. And I said, sure. That's yeah, wonderful. It's Isn't wonderful. That? Pretty it's, simple. It's a picture of you in an alarm clock. I mean, it's a creative. It is actually a creative thing to do. Oh, good. I want to see it. I, I, I knew I mean, I'd done it already. I didn't. It was probably some weeks ago, probably yeah. two months ago. So anyway. All right. So let me get to, I think, the, the largest question of the NBA, which what I saw yesterday, because I don't stay up late for these games. So I missed the late game. But the question is, why should I ever believe in Dallas? Ever. They're up 27 points against a 12th place team at home. You tell me why I should ever believe in them now. You shouldn't. Yeah. You shouldn't. I mean, you know, no, there's no chance that you believe in Dallas. And um, yesterday, Tony, was one of the extraordinary basketball days of my life. And... There were so many good games, college men's, college women, NBA, and the NBA games were were just amazing because you got so many teams that think they can win, that they are playing now in this last 20-game sprint. 
sprint, and they're coming like Usain Bolt. It started the whole weekend. It started with uh, Sacramento and the Clippers in a 176-175 game. I guess that was Friday night. And then it just continued yesterday. It was just, there were four games. There were more than four games. There were four games on ABC ESPN that were part of what I my work yesterday. It was just stunning. And one of those games, of course, was Lakers-Dallas, in which, you know, you make fun of LeBron because LeBron has said, and what LeBron said to be accurate is, these are 23 of the most important games of my life. Regular season. Games. Regular season. Regular season. Yeah. And, and I said, yeah, I, I said that before he did, because I called Matt Kelleher the night, last Sunday night. And I said, when they come back, LeBron doesn't want, LeBron cares about, yes, his legacy. He cares about it already. Maybe he cares too much. He knows that Magic won an, uh, an additional championship. He hasn't won yet. He knows Kobe's got one. He knows Jordan and Kareem have two. And so you don't get there by missing the playoffs the second straight year. And so this is why this is important to LeBron. And they were down 27, and you just go, oh, my God, they're going to get crushed. Yes. And they need to go. Most people, and I'm included, have said they got to go 17 and 6. You told and me they had to go 16 and 7, okay, so now they so, have to go 14 and 7. Right, but I, so a lot of people said 17. Uh, 17 and 6. Okay. I said 16 and 6. You know, people have said, okay, you got to win 16 or 17 games. And now they've won two. That's right. They're 2 0 since that. And when they came, they just marched down. They walked down Dallas. And let me tell you something. If you want to rip Dallas, and it's fine. The culprit is Luka Doncic, who's a big baby. Okay? He's great. He is. Absolutely. Please get 60 points in this year. When, when the game is over, the greats come over. They hug Luka. They're talking to him. They're smiling with him. You just you watched him do stuff in any game, even if they lose it. You can't remember many people doing. But he's a baby. Because when the action goes the other way, he's already a non-defender. But half the plays, he's got his hands up. And he's whining and complaining, and the other team's going the other way at 200 miles an hour. And you know this year, everybody can score 150 points. They can. And so Luka Doncic, as great as he is, he's the problem. So this is an example that I'm going to give. When they got Kyrie Irving, Jason Kidd said, in effect, I'll tell you what he actually said, we need to score 140 to win. Because yeah. he's basically saying, we don't really have any defense. And with Luka and Kyrie, we're not going to get any defense at all. That's right. So we have to score 140 to win. They went out like 27-2 to in this game. They made like nine threes. I'm watching this game, and the fact, it is, the fact that they lost this game is stunning to me at home. You know how I feel about Embiid, that every time Embiid gets in a struggle with Antetokounmpo, he loses Every time he gets into a struggle with Boston at home, he loses. I have no, you, you love him more than I. I have no faith in his ability to win the game. And now I look at Dallas the same way. Why would I ever believe in this? Well, you, you, you can't because Jason Kidd knew, he knew he was saying. He knew exactly what he was saying. And yesterday he ripped him. He did. He should have. He said, we, we, we got we to find some maturity. You know? When your best player is as immature as Luka Doncic, you're not doing anything. This ain't about Kyrie Irving. And, and Jason Kidd's right. It's about Jason Kidd not calling timeouts. His, his best player and one of the six, five or six best players in the league is a total baby. And nobody's going to rip him today. They're going to do other stuff. They're going to talk about other stuff. But you'll rip them. I'm going to rip them. I just did. I'm going to rip them all You'll rip them all day. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I love, I love watching him. And I know you do, too. He's a great player. But, but you can't have that. Embiid doesn't do that. No, Embiid. Embiid leaves the floor with burns. Embiid's just yappy. That's, okay, that that that's has it. nothing to do with whether he plays or not. No, but, uh, but the, you're right. You can dislike him. It doesn't matter. He plays. He's a great player. Yes. He's runner-up twice. But he does not He does not win these the most, games. He, he doesn't. But he doesn't look at the other end of the court. No. With his palms up. 
No. One is a shortcoming. The other is an indictment. Okay. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Um, a couple of other things. We had a, a, when we talked yesterday, you love Sacramento now. Yes. A team that has not made the playoffs, I don't know, 80 it's years. Chris Webber. Yeah. And Vladi Divac. Yes. It is. It's like 20 years. Bibby. Yeah. They're, they're so much fun to watch. The guards, the kids, Malik Monk, and most importantly, I'm drawing a blank on the other kids. De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox is an awful. De'Aaron Fox last night had like his seventh straight 30-point game. Yeah. De'Aaron Fox is stud. And they do they're fun to listen to at the end of the game. They're coached by somebody who I do consider myself friends with, Mike Brown. Like Mike Brown. And um, and they made a great trade when they got Sabonis, who was underrated by they Miles. Did, and they gave away a, a terrific yes, player. They, they did. A terrific player in Halliburton. Yes. And so they got an all-star. And so they got two all-stars on that team. And the other night, Tony, in that game, Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox each had 40. And I'm not talking about some all-star game kind of 40. People are going at it. And, and, and the Clippers, look, you probably don't like the Clippers. You I do not. You're not going to I do not like them. But I like Westbrook, so I'm going right. to. Right. Well, yeah. well, hey, how about you? 17 points and 14 assists. Yeah, I like Westbrook. And he fouled out. But, but yeah, so the weekend was full of, there wasn't, of, of the feature games, there wasn't one mediocre game. Well, you, the game first note seven. you sent me was about women's college yes. basketball and yes. Caitlin Clark. Tell the people Caitlin about Clark, that. Caitlin Clark, down. I was down. I was playing Indiana four versus two or two versus six or something. Two versus six, I guess, in Indiana. Must have been two. And they're playing in Iowa. And it's sold out. There's 17,000 people in the stands in Iowa. And they're down. They get down because Indiana hits a shot with 1.5 seconds left. And I started to turn. And I got all this stuff. I got three TVs. I don't have any capacity. I have no bandwidth for some game with 1.5 left and the team's going to lose. But I'm like, you know what? Everybody slurps this kid, Caitlin Clark. Everybody yeah. says that she's Larry Bird. Okay, well, let's see what she's got. They call timeout. Once again, 1.5. And they run an inbounds play with two screens. She pops just free enough to catch the ball 22 feet from the basket. Boom. And it's a, it's a scream out loud. Because, again, you've got a reputation. She's got a rep. She's, she's a hired gun. She's in that group of women that, you know, you think of in the WNBA and Olympic Games and, I just go, oh, my God, this girl could be something. And to watch that live yesterday, and they won that game at home, and people were nuts. And that started the day. That game was early. And that started the day. Michigan-Wisconsin, great game. Yes. That really uh, was a great game. And yes. the, the big kid is from DeMatha, right? The local kid, Taylor, whatever his name is, from I Michigan. from DeMatha. I think he's from here. Okay. I'm pretty sure he's from here. I think it's okay. in that. I could be wrong. So there's just, there's just a slew. All I did yesterday after doing countdown at 9.30 in the morning out here, I just got in front of the TV. Did you watch Northwestern? Northwestern yeah, 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 yeah. blew an 18-point lead, right? That was two games ago. They oh. didn't have an 18-point lead okay. at Maryland yesterday. They, had, they were in a tight game, and it wasn't a tight game. Oh, that's right. It was buried in the second half. Yeah, I, I, this is why I didn't want to be ranked. I know what happens when we get ranked. Bad thing. When was the last time you were ever ranked? Were you uh, ever ranked? 2018, maybe, something like that. Wow. Yeah, you're 0-2 since ranking. We're tied, we're tied for second place still in the Big Ten. Oh, you're going to go there. I told you, Lenardi. Yeah, and... I know. But I, I, you, know, you know, I'm looking at how we're playing. I'm going to say I don't care about that because we've been in the tournament exactly once. That's right. Just get in again. Yesterday, yes, I, I squeezed that in, but that wasn't one of the games that left you breathless. Right. right. The right. other games, and particularly the, the Caitlin Clark, Michigan men, and the NBA games, the four NBA games were wow. I, I, and, and Tony, I I could sense this coming out of the break. 
Because, you know, everybody talked all year, we talked all year, and I kind of dismissed it, about people tanking for Wim Banyama. People want Wim Banyama, but that, I, I didn't sense that people would tank. LeBron James is not going to tank for him. Wim Banyama can't help LeBron James. He can't. The Lakers have to win. That's, what, that's how they're built. Oh, by the way, we didn't mention Dane Lillard going for 71. Oh, did he? I didn't even yeah. know that. Dan Lillard went for 71. You have to watch the package. I don't mean just the. Whatever it's they too late for me. It's uh, these things are on I, too I'm late. I'm not talking about watching the game. I need one to watch the game. I'm just saying, Dan Lillard hit shot. Dan Lillard in one game, he had shot Tony, and, and they got to win. He comes out, and Dan Lillard's great. Look, you, Dan Lillard's another guy to me. You don't like. I don't enough. like him. Don't what like he stands for. Yeah, I don't like what he stands Dan for. Dan says, no, I'm not going to be part of a super team. I'm not going to beg LeBron to play with me like he did other people. I'm going to stay in this small, upper northwest community. Even as a young black man from Oakland, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to raise children with my wife. I'm going to love it here and love these people and play here. And no, I'm not going to Madison Square Garden. How you don't like this guy? I do he, like that part. I do like that part. There's parts okay, I don't this like. This is so, who he is. Okay. And he goes out there, and he, he, he stared down Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant in the playoffs two years ago, and eliminated them. Yeah, he's a great clutch player. He, unlike he, your boy Paul George, Damian Lillard yeah. is a great clutch yeah. player. And last night, he put 71. That's a lot. And be, before the game, he says, look, I want to make the playoffs. And the only way we're going to do that is I'm, I'm the best player on this team. I'm the better player. I have to go out and get us in the playoffs. Yeah. Then the dude hangs 71. Come on now. That's a lot. That's this. Look, it, you can say there's no defense and you, be, you, you, yeah. you can make that case. But you still have but to make the shots. But the skill level. Yeah, you got to make the shots. Come on. The guy's making 38-foot shots on a pull-up. Yeah, that's something. All so right. I, you know, this to me was a... You know, this is a, again, I don't know that I've ever seen a collection of games in one regular, we'll get to the playoffs in another six weeks, but but man, this is crazy. Good. All right, yeah. we'll talk later. Don't have any green juice in the interim. No don't green have. juices for me. <laughs> Michael Wilbon, boys and girls, we'll take a break. Jeff Passan will join us. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Bottom of the ninth with a full count My mind began to drift That shortstop down near second base Does that constitute a shift? I was thinking about that and thinking about me undies Did I use the code, will they be free? And just about then the umpire raised his hand and called strike three You gotta be alert, you gotta be alert you Gotta be alert to the pitcher Keep your feet in the box in the dirt. Gotta be alert to the pitcher. When you face Verlander, don't think about your grocery list. When you're in against Kershaw, don't daydream about the first girl you kiss. Don't think about Kyrie Irving for the Beatles Stones debate. Don't try to figure out why you don't like food touching on your plate. Don't ruminate whether that thing up there might be a spy balloon. Don't wink at the girl in the box seats. There'll be time enough for that real soon. You gotta be alert. Gotta be alert. Gotta be alert to the pitcher. Keep your feet in the box in the dirt. Gotta be alert to the pitcher. It's totally brilliant. He's totally brilliant, Dan Byrne. He's just, yes. there's no other, it's a strange brilliance, but it's total brilliance. He plays in Jeff Passan. You like that song? That was a great song, wasn't it? Uh, the best that I've heard coming in on this show, and I've heard some good ones. That's really, really good. Oh, by the way, before we start from Mark Feinsand, I'm episode 210 of the Loyal Littles podcast, Eat It Passan, just so you know <laughs> that he sent that directly to you. I wanted you to know that. So we wanted to get Jeff Passan on for one and uh, one very specific purpose, which is just to talk about the new rules and what's going on. And, of course, the poster boy for the anti-new rules is Manny Machado. And then, of course, Manny Machado is now negotiating 
a you know eighty-seven trillion dollar <laughs> contracts. So let's start. Let's start with this. The Padres are actually spending money like Saudi Arabia. Um, why would the Padres give Machado? Machado's thirty. It's an eleven-year deal. Why would they do this? Well. First, Tony, let me say, Feinstand uh, ate it yesterday <laughs> when I got the Machado scoop over him. So that's Good. one. Yeah. Um, second, though, um, it, it's it's fascinating to watch what the Padres are doing, right? Yeah. Um, because this is a team that, for the longest time, didn't just have but earned the reputation as a small market team, they have a tiny media market compared to the vast majority of teams in Major League Baseball. They they play in uh, a, a metropolitan area, if you want to just include Southern California, that has two financial behemoths. And yet the Padres are going into the 2023 season with a higher payroll than both the Dodgers yes. and the Angels. They've got two 300-plus uh, million dollars uh, players in Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. They've got Xander Bogarts, who they signed for $280 million. They gave $100 million plus to both Hugh Darvish, who's going to be paid through like his age 42 season, and Joe Musgrove. I mean, they're just spending, spending, spending. And, and that's all without paying Juan Soto long-term either, which they that's hope right. to do, and, and pursuing Shohei Otani, which they plan to do. How does it all make sense? Well, I think it's, frankly, a new way for teams to actually approach this whole business. And what the Padres have done is they have sought and embraced outside investment uh, that they are leveraging their franchise value against. And, and this is a novel concept, right? We, we look uh, at about a week or so ago what John Middleton, the Philadelphia Phillies owner, said. And he said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, when I die, nobody's going to laud me for having run uh, a business where we make cash year over year. They're going to look at me and ask how many championships did he win and base my ownership of this franchise on that. And it's like, oh, well, well, that's nice to have an owner who thinks that way, not about you know, profit year over year being the be-all, end-all of how a franchise is run. No, it's about championships. And Peter Seidler, the owner of the Padres, who bought them for $800 million and sees them now worth well over $2 billion, is taking that appreciation in value and selling a little piece of his company to turn around and reinvest it in the product. And the product is the players. And, and he's doing so... A, in pursuit of a championship, but B, with the same idea that the Golden State Warriors did. The, the Golden State Warriors, Tony, are not the team that should have the highest franchise value in the NBA. It should be the New York Knicks. It should be the Los Angeles Lakers. It should be the Chicago Bulls. No, it's the Warriors, and it's clearly the Warriors. And they go into the luxury tax and spend hundreds of millions of dollars every year to ensure that they have the best players in their wide because their brand is now winning. That's what the San Diego Padres want to be. They want to be the exciting baseball team that has fans all across the country because of the players that they have on their team that, oh, by the way, also goes out and wins. And so I, I think it's, it, it shouldn't be novel, but it is, and yet it also makes sense. The better the product you put on the field, the more fans you should have. The more fans you have, the greater appreciation you can have in franchise value, at which point selling a chunk of your company, in this case to uh, a company called Aries Capital Management, which invests you know, in sports uh, really across the landscape, not just baseball, makes complete financial sense. I've never thought of any of this before. It is the anti-learner position clearly yes um it it yes it makes sense to me because it's not my money 
So it makes sense to me. In the specifics of Manny Machado at 30 years old getting an 11-year deal, a guy who is not only a dirty player, but I always thought was hated by teammates, certainly the Los Angeles Dodgers experience. I guess I just wondered about that. I thought that baseball was trying to get away from these contracts where in the last five years you get nothing back from the player. Yeah, and then 2022-23 offseason happened. And, yeah. we, we, you know, contracts like this became de rigueur. Like, yeah. the, this is just a regular thing that we're seeing now. And it reminds me a little bit. Remember when uh, the NHL had those contracts that were stretching well beyond a decade for luxury tax implications? The same thing's happening in baseball right now. And okay. there is, of course the possibility and in something that I, I think a, a fair number of people might point to as saying the reality that the Padres are not going to be able to sustain this long term. And and Peter Seidler, their owner, was essentially asked that question after Rob Manfred was one of the people who talked about sustainability. And Peter Seidler flipped it on its head and said there's risk in not trying to win, right? And and he's absolutely right. And this, Tony, this just gets back to an axiom that I think applies across sports in capped and uncapped sports alike, which is that a franchise quite often is only as good as its owner. And you just hope as a fan that you live in a city and root for a team that has an owner who gives enough of a damn to try, actively try, to win every year. And if that means putting yourself in a potentially financially perilous position long-term, you say, well, you know what? In service of winning now, that is something I'm trying to do, and we'll figure it out then because, hey, professional sports, pretty lucrative business. And in the end, if we have to unload these contracts, which a decade down the road may not look nearly as bad as That's they right. are compared to the financial right. landscape then, we'll be able to do so, number one, because they're names, and number two, because if we have a really good farm system in place and we're willing to attach prospects to get rid of money, there will always be a market for that. It's, uh, it's very interesting to me. got me off my topic, which was the rules. I assume the, I assume the rule with the f- easiest flashpoint is the pitch clock. I'm going to assume that. Because here's Manny Machado, first at bat, st- taking a strike right away to show his contempt for these things. And I don't think he's a lone wolf, Jeff. I think there's 100 guys in the league who have been stars or close to being stars for 6 to 10 years. And they say, I want to play the baseball that I've always played. I don't want to yep. play this new stinking baseball. So what I'm asking is, do you agree with that premise? And if so, how long will it take for these rules to not be jarring and, and see people thrown out all the time? Tony, they're honestly not really the people who concern me in this situation because as we've seen with the Buster Posey rule with collisions at home plate, as we've seen with the sticky stuff, as we've seen with sliding hard into second base, if a rule is in place, players will sort of roll their eyes and bitch and moan behind the scenes and then they'll adapt and adjust because we okay. are you know creatures of habit and uh, if new habits are foisted upon us then we get used to them uh, more than anything I think athletes are really malleable and so they will adjust to this the the interesting thing to me is play uh, is rather fans in that age group and and especially fans who have been watching baseball for for six to ten years you know we're talking teenagers and we're talking people in their uh in their 20s and people who haven't seen full games from the 1970s and 1980s that segment of fans grew up on what i think eventually is going to be referred to, and uh, this probably isn't going to catch on, but to to me, this is what it is, as boring baseball. Mm. And that's baseball with people dicking around between it ba- or between pitches with with pitchers doing, you know, half moons on the mound and 
uh, getting the rosin bag and clearing their spikes. Uh, what we see with pitch clock baseball is reminiscent of what baseball used to be. There is a guy on the mound, and he's there to pitch. There's a guy in the batter's box, and he's there to swing. And, you know, we're going to have, I think, more swings early in at-bats eventually uh, because hitters are going to know that, hey, I, I don't have to wait around for action. I don't have to wait for my perfect pitch. Uh, this game is going to be moving, and either I move with it or it's going to leave me behind. And we've seen this early in spring training. I understand that there have been two full days of Major League Baseball spring training games and, and a first day where there were two games. Um, during those 35 games, Tony, there have been 69 pitch clock violations, 1.97 per game. And, it's nothing. Uh, you know, that nothing. compared to the – Compared to the minor leagues, the first two weeks in the minor leagues last year when they were testing this out, it was 1.73 violations. And yet, let me ask you this. If the average game time in all of spring training, Tony, last year was three hours and one minute, what do you think the average game time in these two and change days and I know small sample size alert, right. but what do you think the average game time in these first few days of spring training has been this year? So I'll knock off 15 minutes and I'll say 2.46. Uh, it would be 2.38. Well, that's great. 23 that's great. fewer minutes. And, it, and it managers tracks. aren't running out there to protect their players and getting no. tossed. No, in fact, managers are the one. Uh, you know, Buck Showalter said it. I wasn't. I'm not sure if it's to Joel Sherman or just it was to to reporters uh, in Port St. Lucie. Buck Showalter said, "I hope the umpires are hard asses about this because we need to learn and we need to figure it out." And we saw it on the first full day that umpires are going to call this by the book when yeah. uh, an umpire called Cal Conley on a three-two pitch in the bottom of the ninth inning with the bases loaded for an automatic strike that essentially ended the game. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was, I, I think it was to a number of very skeptical people about the pitch clock, like the jarring moment where they could say, see what this is doing to baseball. It's ruining the game. Rob Manfred is the worst commission, you know, going on and on. And, and to me, it's like, Major League Baseball has bled 10 million fans over the course of the last, like, 20 years. Uh, I mean, people aren't coming to games like they used to. People aren't watching games like they used to. And the biggest complaint among fans, particularly ones who know what baseball can look like, is that the games are too slow and plotting. This addresses that issue without any demonstrable effect on the game itself, right? When you take it a concert with the new rules, like the ban on the shift and like the lack of disengagements, which means uh, you only have two pickoff moves or step off uh, per at bat and the larger bases, which narrow the distance between first and second and second and third and makes stealing a little bit easier. All of those things have a demonstrable effect on the game itself on the field, but all Major League Baseball is doing with the pitch clock is, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff. Like, this is the good stuff, guys. You still get all the baseball that you've gotten in the past. It's just a sped-up version. It's just baseball on the podcast setting of 1.25. You're just watching yeah. a little faster, like sometimes people listen to the show a little faster. This is great. Jeff, this is great. Thank you so much for this. It's really good. I'll tell Fine Santa to eat it at that point. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate that. That's the listen for for all the fun talk we had this morning, Tony. That's the most important thing to me. So that's I always good. appreciate you coming through, Jeff. Passing, boys and girls. That was really good. I hadn't thought of a lot of those things. Really, hadn't. We'll take a break. Um, come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. like the birds doesn't it really does here comes tony's mailbox 
Ronnie Newmeyer and Tom Lofgren. Just love that. Love that. Want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad for us, please? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. We've got the bagel sandwiches today. It's always exciting. Uh, all you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, when I think back on all the crap I learned in high school, it's a wonder I can think at all. And though my lack of education hasn't hurt me much, I can read the writing on the wall. That's Kodachrome. That is the brilliant, the genius <laughs> yes. from Forest Hills, Paul Simon. Thanks to our guest today, Michael Wilbon, who needs to fix his phone, and Jeff Passan. Passan was wonderful. Yes. Thanks to our sponsors, Me Undies and Fidelity. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. From Gabe Gilson in New York City. My fiance was just resetting her camera that hasn't been used in years. What time is it? I looked down. 5'11". Not very good. <laughs> Thanks for all the Not years the of layoffs while no. explaining <laughs> the simple things in life, like what a pool noodle is. Huh? From Matt in Atlanta, quote, my good leg went bad. Sounds like the title of yet another brilliant Dan Burns song. Odds are he's got something brewing already. I'll That's hang a challenge. up and listen. Oh, yeah. There you go, Dan. From Kurt Johnson in Warland, Wyoming. It's not too late for the topic. I had a food prep mistake that did not lead to anything disgusting or sickening, but only something embarrassing. In 2011... I was living long-term in Berlin and had to move apartments rather quickly. Unfortunately for me, I was moving over an hour away with everything I owned along with a ton of research materials, which is going to take a few trips, and I had the flu. When it started to get dark, I realized I needed to get going to get out of there and finally finished just in time to buy a big thing of potato soup late that night in the new place. I had a migraine, so I didn't turn on the lights. Just threw my things down, opened a cupboard, found a ceramic pot, put it on the stove. I stirred it in between laying on the floor, starving and sweating. I realized after about 10 minutes, the spoon was still coming up with cold soup. Hmm. So I touched the bottom of the pot and it was cold. The stove was on, so I toughed it out and turned on the lights. It took a moment, but I realized that the pot was really thick and didn't have handles. That's when I realized I was cooking soup in a flower pot. <laughs> oh, but it didn't have a drain. From Dave in Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin. I occasionally pick up my five-year-old granddaughter from school here in Whitefish Bay. Recently, I was waiting for her when a young parent approached me. We exchanged hellos, and I felt compelled to inform him. I was just listening to the Tony Kornheiser podcast, thinking he would scoff at me and move on. No, no, no. He said, me too. Despite the frigid temperatures and piles of snow, it's like the connective tissue of Littles melted away the 30-plus years of age between us. It's not like we're best buds now, but a hearty lachiserie between us makes, makes it sure feel that way. By the way, my wife came home recently after picking up our granddaughter and said, I ran into Charlie's dad, and all he mentioned was something about that Kornheiser dude. Priceless. It never happens to me at pickup. <laughs> From Brandon Costello, the dichotomy of a man whose words have earned him a life of privilege, fame, and wealth, but who also has never seen a pool noodle is exactly why I love this show. From Carl Letterman, this is long, and we're going through it. From Alexandria, Virginia. Your mention of George Blaney on the show unleashed a flood of memories about the old Madison Square Garden and the putrid Knicks of the early 60s. I attended Camp Wayne... I know Camp Wayne, <laughs> blue and white, Camp Wayne, for many years, and the Knicks would visit, yes, every summer. They always sent one star and a bunch of rookies, yes. In 1961, a contingent of Johnny Green, George Blaney, Donnie Butcher, and Cleveland Buckner visited the camp, and they visited our camp the next day. I remember jumping Johnny, lifted me up so I could dunk. My dad owned an optometry practice, a half block south of the old garden on 8th Avenue, 50th and 8th. It was in the heart of the theater district. His patients included Ray Felix of the Knicks, 611, Gump Worsley of the Rangers, Zero Mostel, Arturo Toscanini, Albert Einstein, and Joe E. Ross of Sergeant Bilko in Car 54, Where Are You? Roy Rogers got his eyes checked when the rodeo was in town. I used to buy 25 cent balcony tickets. We all did, geo tickets, at MSG with my school geo card. Went to a lot of games with school friends and no adults. Parents would be charged with child neglect today. Yes, of course. <laughs> Cleveland Buckner used to ride the E-train with us when we returned home to Queens after games. Emmett Bryant's wife taught at my junior high school in Springfield Gardens. Within 12 years, the only truly great era of Knicks basketball came and went. 50th anniversary of the 1973 champions to be celebrated this weekend. I grew up in Laurelton. 
And your recent mention, that's just over the Queens line from Nassau. And your recent mention of the Lindbergh Howard Johnson stirred additional memories. The restaurant was on my way to Grandma's house at the intersection of Scranton Avenue and Sunrise Highway. We used to stop there on the way home, and I always got peppermint stick ice cream. Hojo's burned down in the 70s. Do you remember Wetson's a few blocks to the west on Sunrise and Ashton? Do I remember it? <laughs> Eileen Wettenson, her father, invented Wetson's. She went to Hewlett High School with me. Eileen Wettenson. Do I remember it? It was a hamburger joint that predated McDonald's in New York, started by two guys from Valley Stream. 15-cent burgers, 10-cent fries, 25-cent shakes. When we got our driver's license, Wetson's and Nathan's in Oceanside were the main destinations. Nathan's used to be so great, still exists, but it's a shadow of its former self. As are we, Carl, as are we. No more deli, and now they serve pizza hut pizza, sacrilege. Only the hot dogs and fries are as This is the greatest, greatest email we've ever had. From Patrick Sitter. Though my last name is Sitter, I too am a stander. I never learned to swim. Because of that growing up, I missed out on a lot of fun and likely a lot of babes. Anyway, I was happy to learn we're kind of related, sort of. P.S. I was wondering, since you've read many of my emails on the pod, would it be okay if I listed contributor Tony Kornheiser show on my resume, or would that be too Santos-ish? <laughs> Funny. Greg Spinelli, McLean, Virginia. The reason to eat vegetables first is because they taste best when they are hot. Everything else can cool a bit when you're eating them with no taste penalty, but the veggies have to be eaten hot. Also, someone to whom I'm related, who will remain nameless for reasons soon to be clear, could not let their food touch. Three years in the federal penitentiary cured them of that eccentricity. <laughs> yeah, that would do it. Unexpected, wasn't that? <laughs> Mike O'Brien of Boston, formerly Revere. You talk about food touching brings back great memories about my childhood. Then and now I can't have my food touching. So needless to say, when I was about seven and my dad made shepherd's pie, which is mashed potatoes, hamburger meat, and corn all smushed together, I just looked at it and demanded mac and cheese and to (laughs) never put this concoction in front of me again. I'm now 42 and my lady friend has made similar meals, which I calmly just look at her and say, come on, what are we even doing here? She calls me a child and I agree and just order a cheese pizza and enjoy my meal. From Sean in Milwaukee. My ex-wife used to be nuts about not mixing her food. One of the many reasons she is now my (laughs) ex-wife. From Terry Tahara in Bremen, Indiana. I'm in your demographic, parentheses, 68 to death. And I'm also a non-swimmer due to a medical issue when I was young and told not to get water in my ear. I'm also a stander in the shallow end, but in the deep end, I'm a sinker. So am I. And that's why, kids, I don't go in the deep end. Chris in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Can we get daughter of the friend show Olympian Brooke 40 to help with the swim lessons at Columbia? I'm a little back to the late 90s on tape delay in Albany, and I can say that you're asking Michael if he knew what a noodle was had me laughing out loud, perhaps more than any other time I can recall while listening to the show or podcast. Was it that stupid? I I guess I'd I'd never seen. I didn't know what it was. It's like an icon of the summer. Yeah. Uh, Well, I don't go in the summer. I'm perpetual winter. I would have moved to, you know, Greenland. Tom McCormick, Bethesda, Maryland. Wednesday's show began with a 10-minute story which centered around your aquatic shortcomings. Although I thoroughly enjoyed the mental image of you keeping afloat with a pool noodle and never seek comfort and strength for your ailing back, I was reminded of a three-word phrase you uttered weeks ago, not a pickerel. Some reputations you'll never have. I couldn't get in the pickerel area because I couldn't swim. I was a frog. Yeah. I was a crane and then a frog, but not a pickerel. Mm-hmm. From Neil Dorsey. Uh, from Greenville, North Carolina, by way of Columbia, Maryland, and Malvern, New York, the, the school of Jody Forstadt and Charlie Steiner. While listening to the podcast last week, I was overwhelmed with the discussion of NASCAR by Liz. She knows her stuff, and it brought back memories of my growing up in Malvern, a stone's throw across the Long Island Railroad Westwood Station to Lindbrook. I do love your show as it talks about the Long Island I knew, and then you talk about the D.C. area where we lived. Back to stock car racing on Long Island. There was a short track in Freeport. Of course there was. I went there all the time that had races on Friday and Saturday. Those small local tracks were the beginning of NASCAR. The noise, the smells, the excitement were great, especially for a teenage boy in the era of muscle cars. I was class of 61, Valley Stream Central. Valley Stream Central, Jerry Chermack, Valley Stream Central. Um, Richie Lobel, Val- no, he was Valley Stream South. Um, the guy who ran CBS all those years. What's his name? Les Moonves? Valley Stream Central. Really? And thought uh, taking my girl to the stock races was a great thing. And then to Farrell's for ice cream. I don't know Farrell's. I went on from there to attend East Carolina University, meeting up with a bunch of guys from Lindbrook. We introduced lacrosse to North Carolina, deli food. And in return, we learned that chewing tobacco is really bad. Don't (laughs) swallow it. And 3.2 beer is a killer. 
all the, and the roots of NASCAR. You might tell Liz that the tracks like North Wilkesboro are coming back to stock car racing, but we could make Lindbrook in the TikTok bar in about eight hours with a trunk of cigarettes for those 10 cent beers. Just these emails are so great. From, Jake, from Jason Blazer. Um, hey, Alex Cobb of Springfield, Missouri. Tell your lifelong friend's daughter to look me up. Maybe I can help her navigate the area. Or we can simply chat about local pronunciations. Jason Blazer, either Lake Orion or Lake Orion, <laughs> Michigan, episode 131. They're now signing their episodes. Yeah, from uh, Aaron Lee, Aaron from New Braunfels, Texas, <laughs> by way of Seguin, not to be confused with Sequin. Oh, Sequin then. Hey, Subaru with the kayak yak rack on top. With a Chico State license plate frame, California driving in 135. This is Texas. Get the Tony Kornheiser salute out of the way if you're going to drive 60 on the highway. <laughs> so we know what's going on. From Aaron Hansen, not to be confused with Aaron Lee, who just wrote that. My lunch on most days consists of peanut butter and strawberry jelly sandwich with an apple and orange, a baggie of Cheetos or Doritos, and occasionally a banana. I have to eat them in this order. PB&J, the banana, the apple, the orange, and then the bag of chips. Yes, Aaron Hansen, Papillon, Nebraska. That is yes. the hammer's diet. Yes, that's what you have to do. You have to, you cannot mix things. Um, Bill from Cape Coral, Florida. That's some souvenir from Beth Page Black you were sporting on PTI Tuesday. As a kid, I worked at the Yellow Course, the easiest of Beth Page's five. Uh, many years ago, we used long bamboo canes to whip dew off the greens each morning. Cool. I never heard of that. That's wild. From Todd Berkner in Adamstown, Maryland. For littles that want to try Primanti Brothers without trekking Pittsburgh, the closest one to the DMV is in Hagerstown, Maryland. Make Saliza drive up and bring some back for the show the next time you allow him on. From Elliot Olshansky, where's the Dartmouth reference? <laughs> Before reading my last email on the post-Super Bowl show, you said, oh, is it going to be a Dartmouth reference? I'm just guessing. Do you think there's a Dartmouth reference? You then proceeded to read an email that was completely devoid of references to my alma mater. Much like 209 of the 244 emails I've sent to the mailbag since 2015. <laughs> Not only that, but of the 35 that did mention the school in New Hampshire, only 10 of them were read on air, plus the two introducing music from my friend Oliver Kaplan, which were sent to the Jingles email. So that's 12 emails in eight years, or one and a half emails per year. But if you really want to paint me as a smug, I suppose I should tell you that I drive a Subaru Legacy and that the woman to whom I'm related by marriage drives an Outback. Recently, she even talked me into buying a used canoe and bringing it home on the roof of said Outback. Mm -hmm. Still, lest you think these actions imperil my status as a loyal little, I can proudly report that when we showed the canoe to our two masculine children, the younger one asked, who's the captain of our boat? And I responded the only way a little should, by telling him to look at me and then informing him, I'm the captain now. <laughs> Best regards from Suffolk County, where I occasionally visit the Whole Foods and the shopping center that occupies the former site of the Long Island Arena, which I know well, because it was a hockey arena the Long Island Ducks played there. And one more from Joe Bob Yu in Florida. Longtime listener, first time caller. Thanks for taking my call. As you mentioned, John Martino, a.k.a. Paulie of the Godfather's famous scene, ending Clemenza uttering the famous line, leave the gun, take the cannoli. I looked up, Mr. Martino. It turns out that when everyone is in place, Paulie in the driver's seat, the shooter behind him, and Clemenza outside relieving himself, another guy gets in the back seat on the passenger side with a twenty-two rifle. John turns around and asks, who are you? And the guy says, I'm here to shoot three bullet holes in the front windshield with real bullets to make the scene more realistic. But don't worry, I'm a trained marksman. After calculating his chances of survival, John proceeded with and completed the scene in one take. <laughs> P.S. Best cooking story. When Lemon Joy dish stuff first came out, I mistook the bottle for olive oil when I cooked my hamburger. <laughs> While eating it, I thought it was a little bit off, but I ate it anyway. <laughs> Thank you, Joe Bob. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone is always do wear white. You want to talk real customers? Kid, that's me. I'm like the mayor of Duncan. I go from Mobblehead to Revere. <laughs> Mobblehead.
bottom of the ninth with a full count my mind began to drift that shortstop down near second base does that constitute a shift I was thinking about that and thinking about me undies did I use the code will they be free and just about then the umpire raised his hand and called strike three you gotta be alert you gotta be alert you gotta be alert to the pitcher keep your feet in the box in the dirt gotta be alert to the pitcher when you face Verlander don't think about your grocery list when you're in against Kershaw don't daydream about the first girl you kiss don't think about Kyrie Irving for the Beatles Stones debate don't try to figure out why you don't like food touching on your plate don't ruminate whether that thing up there might be a spy balloon don't wink at the girl in the box seats there'll be time enough for that real soon you gotta be alert gotta be alert gotta be alert to the pitcher keep your feet in the box in the dirt gotta be alert to the pitcher